When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Solskjaer has won the European Cup for Manchester United. It's absolutely astonishing. The double is definitely Manchester United's. Far for Ronaldo to think about it. Oh! Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. Back down to earth with a miserable bump. There's no long run of wins for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side. Three away victories are followed by a dreadful 1-0 defeat in the rain on the south coast. Josh King scores for AFC Bournemouth to send Manchester United into 10th in the Premier League table. We review that game and look at matches against Partizan Belgrade and Brighton and Hove Albion. And as always, there's our regular youth loan and women's roundup on the Manchester United weekly podcast. Enjoy the show. Pretty terrible day for me on Saturday. I can't lie to you, Jack. Um, England lost to South Africa in the Rugby World Cup final, and after watching that, I then had to to put myself through another two hours of sport, and it just added to the disappointment. United were lacklustre in everything they did, and never really looked like threatening Bournemouth at all. Yeah, I've got to say, my weekend got off to a particularly terrible start. Waking up at five a.m. to watch England <laughs> get beaten in the rugby, and then United losing to Bournemouth yeah. a couple of hours later. Yeah, it was just a, a, a lacklustre performance again. And it, I think what was so frustrating about it, I mean, obviously the loss is frustrating in and of itself, but more so than just the fact that we lost is that it, it was the same problems that we've had so many times this season. And just as it looked like we were maybe starting to overcome them a little bit and, you know, we're beginning to improve and get a few better results, it just all came crashing back down to earth. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying on the last episode in that, 
despite how much better the mood was around the club after the Chelsea game, and that there probably is a lot more confidence now and we're gaining a bit of momentum, realistically not much had actually changed in those three games. And it it was all very much built on sort of momentum and confidence and, and we just haven't carried that on. Yeah, because I, I remember you saying we we were both pretty happy after those three games, it, it must be said. And, and I, th- I think I said we're getting caught up in the in the fickleness of football, but that's what makes sport great. And I, I was I was perfectly happy to kind of get caught up in that wave of of eventual relief after a few wins on the road and then be brought that down to earth because that's that's what following a football team is all about. But you made the point in the last episode, I think that not not much in the in terms of performances had actually changed. I think what had changed was there was there was a little more cohesion within the United side. There was a little more impetus with the return of Anthony Martial, and and everyone just seemed to be performing a little bit better. And yeah. I I don't know what it was that we could go on the Jurgen Klopp route and, and blame the weather on the on the south coast, or we could just accept that United just didn't turn up. And that I think that's a really worrying thing with this United side because. It seems like, and we've said this early on in the season, you can tell what's going to happen after five, ten minutes. And after five or ten minutes, it was pretty clear that United weren't going to turn up for this match. And as it happened, that was exactly the case. There was there was nothing in the ninety minutes. Well, I think if we kind of look back and try and think about what changed in those sort of the three game winning streak, it wasn't all that much, really. You know, we played a partisan Belgrade side who are not a particularly good side, struggled to break them down. And then and ended up getting getting a goal through a penalty. Then we go to Norwich, where you know, fair fair enough, we did create a lot of chances, but that was partly down to the fact that Norwich play a very open style of football, especially for sort of a lower a lower table team. And then against Chelsea, you know, great result, and it was a it was a better performance. But it wasn't as if we dominated the game. You know, again, our goals we relied on set pieces, a penalty, and and then a moment of magic from Marcus Rashford. And and as you said, we we kind of saw that and recognised and were quite happy to get caught up in the fickleness of sports. That's why we love it so much because of the emotional side of it. But I think we all, we all kind of recognised as fans that despite the good results, realistically in a more long-term view of things, not much had actually changed. And I think the the big step back that we made at the weekend was that the, I think, I think the one thing that had the potential to be an, an improvement long-term from those three games was that Solskjaer was being much more proactive and was finally starting to influence games in a positive way. And he just wasn't able to do that against Bournemouth. Yeah, I think that was a that was a big frustration because personally, I was at the Chelsea game and I thought before they scored, and I said this on the last episode, is that Solskjaer hadn't responded and he let them get that equaliser. But after that, to his credit, he made the changes that then kind of changed the game for United and allowed them to find that winner even though it was from a, a set piece a piece of magic from from that free kick from Rashford and against Bournemouth we just didn't see that at all what we saw was what we've seen before against Wolves against Southampton against Crystal Palace Arsenal Liverpool so many different times this season United have been unable to hold on to to uh, winning margins or to get back into a game because he just doesn't make changes quick enough and that is a. It, it, it's perhaps a consequence of the thin squad that United have and the lack of options on the bench. But at the same time, if if if, if Solskjaer was really a good manager, he would be affecting games. And this is a. This goes back to a point we've made so many times: is that we we don't really think he's a very good football manager. We think he's a very good football person, and he, and he is the right man to change the culture at United. But it's probably. I think we've we've both accepted. I think most United fans who are not on the Ole out abusive kind of uh, train of thought have accepted that he'd probably be quite a good director of football, 
but he's not a very good manager. No, exactly. And and that, that, that never. Re- I don't want to say it's never been his strong point because obviously he has proved in the past that he can be an, an effective manager, but he, he he's never proved himself to be an amazing tactician. And even when he did first come into the, the United team and, and did make such a positive impact, it wasn't really based on, you know, amazing new tactics or very advanced sort of improvements. It was mainly in terms of restoring a, a better feeling around the club, which is exactly what a, a sort of technical director or director of football are about. But I, I do think that there were some signs in the last week or so that he was starting to become more proactive and, and yeah. have the ability to influence games in a in a more positive way. And and not not just with in game changes, but also with the formation changes that we'd seen, you know, going to three at the back and trying to play a bit more to our strengths. And for me, that was the the hope from the Bournemouth sorry, from the games before the Bournemouth game is that maybe that's the one thing that we can take out of this better run of form that might actually carry over for the long term. And and you know, so the Bournemouth result obviously in itself is a terrible result and not something to be pleased like pleased about at all. But I think the bigger thing for me, the bigger disappointment is that Solskjaer regressed back to what yeah. he has been for the rest of the season and that is a big I think worry. That's, it, it's a really sad thing as well because I think the Liverpool game and the fact that United played so well in the first half even though we didn't get the win in the end and, and that was uh, partly Solskjaer's fault the fact that we didn't hold out for that 1-0 that win but the fact he started with a three-man defence shook things up managed to to surprise Liverpool and managed to dominate that first half in the, in the way that United did I think that gave him the confidence to then make the changes and the decisions required that allowed United to beat Norwich and beat Chelsea. And I think this loss could see him kind of revert back in, go back into his shell and not make those kind of brave tactical decisions that we did occasionally see because he's he's clearly not a great tactical manager. But when, when he first arrived at United, there were some some clever things he did. I remember the, the victory away at Spurs at, at Wembley. Um when Marcus Rashford scored the only goal of the game, it was a big Pogba through ball and then Rashford finished. Now, that was a, that was the first big challenge, everyone said, for Solskjaer as, as interim manager after that brilliant run of wins was going to Tottenham Hotspur, a top four rival, and managing to, to find the victory. And, and that's exactly what he did by, but with, I can't exactly remember what he did, to be honest, but I remember coming out of that game and thinking, that's Solskjaer's tactics that have won us that game. And then he did it again in various other games. And, I think he's he's kind of lost that confidence and it's not surprising because we've seen it happen to so many other managers. This job is just swallowing him up. I think now is the time for Solskjaer to be bold and I understand why he might not have wanted to do that before because there is so much spotlight on being United manager for a variety of different reasons and if you do take the risk and go with sort of these bold tactical changes like going three at the back or maybe dropping a, a big name player and it goes wrong. There is a lot of backlash to be had from that. But at this point, I don't, I don't see anything to lose for Solskjaer. Obviously, him, he isn't himself the only consideration here. But at, at this point, I don't really see anything for Solskjaer to lose by having a, a bold tactical decision backfire. Because although there doesn't seem to be an appetite among the board to to get rid of him now, it's very, very unlikely he's still going to be in the job this time next season. I would imagine. I think if results carry on this way, he'll probably get sacked at the end of the season. And so at this point, the only way for him to salvage his United career is to do something drastically different. And if it goes if it goes terribly wrong and he gets sacked in the next two months, well, really, he, he hasn't really lost out on anything because I think it's inevitable that it's going to happen anyway. So I think at this point, he 
it is the time for Solskjaer to be making those bolder changes. You know, yeah. maybe we go to three at the back as, as our dom- as our default formation now. You know, maybe we, we start playing youngsters every single week to start in the game. You know, get rid of the likes of, of Pereira and Fred who don't look like they're going to be good enough and Ashley Young. You know, start Brandon Williams, James Garner, Mason Greenwood. Start them on a regular basis because if something works, it, it could save Solskjaer's United career as, as United manager. But if it doesn't work, I don't think it's really going to change that much. Yeah, I, I I agree with you, but at the same time, there's this this element of of me that thinks, well, if I was Manchester United manager in Solskjaer's situation, I would not have the the braveness and the and the, the decision making to be able to do that because if you're in that situation, you think, well, we'll keep doing what I know is good, what I know that that can be good. And it's so hard to get yourself out of that mind, and that's the difference between a, a good football. Oh, of, of and course, a and, and being in a being in such a pressurized role like that, it makes you very risk averse. Partly yeah. because of the backlash that you know that you'll get from the media, and it, you know that's why fans are always are always the first ones calling for a change because it's so much easier to do yeah. it when obviously it's going to affect us in the in because we all care about United so much, but it's not going to affect you know, our jobs or what we do on a daily basis. Whereas well, also, for the people actually involved in those decisions, it's, it's so much yeah, bigger. Yeah, it affects me for, for a day, a couple of days. As much as as much as I care about the United result, I can be distracted by, by other things. Um, whereas yeah. I feel like for, for Solskjaer and, and some of the players, that, that loss against Bournemouth will hang over their heads until they find another victory. And this is this is what I think is different about the, the United side under Solskjaer is that We've gone to Bournemouth and we've not turned up at all. And yet, I didn't come away from that game thinking these players don't care. And I don't know why that is. Because that's the kind of performance that if it had been put in under Mourinho, under Van Gaal, under Moyes, you'd say, you'd criticise the players for, for not trying hard enough. And I, I would still do that. But you don't get the sense with this United team that they've that they've given up, that they don't care. You think, when I watch United, I think they're trying their best. I just don't think they're good enough. And maybe that's a, a lowering of expectations because of the the last five or six years. But I, I I don't know if you if you get the same sense watching watch United that it's just simply an average squad doing kind of average things. Yeah, I, I do. I, I don't think I've ever got the sense throughout the whole season that there's a, a lack of effort or a lack of commitment to anything really. Like you said, it just seems that there's a lack of quality ultimately. And I think partly that comes down to the fact that a lot of these players we don't think that they they are good enough and they've never proved that they are. Whereas, you know, for example, Paul, Paul Pogba, right? Let's take the cl- kind of classic example. He, he gets a lot of stick for not trying hard enough and not putting in enough effort. And I think partly that comes down to the fact that we've seen him both at times for United and previously with Juve be a world-class player and we know what, that he is capable of being a, a dominant, dominant yeah. midfielder. But with most of the players that we have at the moment, we, we've never seen that. And, you know, even with our promising youngsters we think that they might be great talents, but we aren't sure. And yeah. so when things go wrong, it's it's a lot easier for us to chalk it down to, well, it, they're just not good enough. You know, we shouldn't be mad at them because really it's not their fault that they've been put in a position where we're relying on them. Whereas with an established or formerly established world class, world class player like Pogba, it's a lot easier to say, well, we know he can do it. So then the reason he's not doing it now must be because he doesn't care. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't, I don't think it is that. I think it's just that... People have off days. People make mistakes, but we're a lot harsher on people we have higher expectations for. Yeah, I guess the problem with United over the last few years is that most of the team are having off days at the same time. Exactly, and, that's, and, that's and a lot thing. of the players that we have that we've had that you know come with those big expectations. People like Ibrahimovic or Schweinsteiger or Di Maria, Falcao. They were often 
were world-class players that were over the hill in a lot in a lot of those cases. And so even though we yeah. might be expecting them to be like they were five years ago, they weren't the same player anymore. Yeah, right. I want to talk about two midfielders in, in a couple of minutes, but I guess the last point in terms of a general point about the, the Bournemouth game is, is two things. One is that it's a really, really poor defeat. This is a, a Bournemouth side who haven't done anything um, in that match and still managed to take the three points, still managed to get I think the it, win. Wasn't it their first goal from, for about 300 minutes? Yeah, they, they hadn't scored a goal since September. They hadn't won in six games. Yeah. It, was a, it was a really pathetic United performance. It was slow. There was nothing there. There was no kind of game plan. It, 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 just was, it was one of the worst ones we've seen for, for some years. But also, what was sad is that we've had times where we've deserved something from games and not got it. If we'd beaten Arsenal and Liverpool there wouldn't be many people claiming that it was undeserved apart from the fans of those teams. And the same could be said at Wolves and at Southampton. We didn't manage to win those games, but Bournemouth was, was like the the Palace performance and Rochdale and, and maybe even worse because there was nothing there from start to finish. Whereas against Palace, you had the Dan James goal against Rochdale. We, we managed to get back into the game and eventually win it. Whereas this Bournemouth game was just a, a nothing affair. Yeah, it was. No, nothing is, is honestly the perfect way to describe the performance. It was... It was almost vacuous. There was just nothing there at all from United. And again, I, I wouldn't put it down to to a lack of, of effort or a lack of commitment. It just it honestly looked like we had no ideas at all. And as you said, I think the Wolves game is probably the best example of this in that I actually think we played okay in, the, in that Wolves game and, and probably did deserve to win on the, on the balance of the game. But against Bournemouth and some of these other performances this season it honestly has just been dire for the entire game and we don't even look like creating a chance. I think that for me is the, is the bigger worry. We had so, so many games under Mourinho where we, we didn't manage to score and you know we couldn't break down a team that was sitting back. But it was because the keeper would have you know a, a blinder or Zlatan would be missing 12 chances a game. And in some ways, those defeats are harder to take in the moment, but long term from a more long-term picture are more positive because at least you're creating those chances and law of averages means you'll probably end up taking those chances again in the future. Yeah. The worry here is that we, we don't ever look like scoring. I mean, yeah. I, it's, I, I don't know the exact stat on this, but it must be almost 50% of our goals this season have come from penalties. Yeah, I don't, I'd imagine so. We've managed to miss plenty of them as well. Yeah, it, it, and, and that for me is, is the bigger issue. You know, results... Results will will come and go, and and if you're creating those chances, even though you might miss them one week, chances are again you'll sort of regress to the mean, and eventually you will start putting those chances away. But the, we we're just not creating in chances at all, and we never look like scoring. Even even in our more positive results, like you know Partizan last week, Chelsea the Chelsea game, even in the Chelsea four nil, we pretty much scored the only four opportunities that we had. Yeah, and and that was great that we that we did take them. That was a great sign. We were being clinical, but. Over a long term, you know, long term view of things, that, that's not you're not going to not sustainable. Yeah, absolutely right. The the two midfielders I want to talk about firstly is Andreas Pereira. Um, Fred's got a lot of praise over the, over the last couple of weeks for improving on what were some terrible performances. And I, I spoke about that in the last episode about how I'm, I'm not convinced that 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 means a, a long term change in his uh, his his performances are, is is incoming. Andreas Pereira, another Brazilian midfielder. Um, he he was he was another terrible game at Bournemouth, and and I've had some sympathy with him because he's been playing on the on the right wing or out of position. I think because I don't I don't think he is a, a right wing or even a, a right inside forward. I think his best position would be number ten or slightly deep in midfield. He played at number ten at Bournemouth though, did did nothing. He he doesn't he doesn't take 
good shots. He doesn't create good shots. He he turns 24 in a couple of months. Um, he made only five of his 13 passes that went forward. He completed only 57% of passes that weren't from kickoff. It, it was a, a really bad performance in a really bad United team, but he hasn't done anything for months. And you think, how is he starting every week? How and and this isn't an obsession with United youngsters because Pereira was was one of them before. But how is anyone not replacing him in the team? And obviously the, the absence of Paul Pogba, who I'm about to talk about, is 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 important in that. But how is Garner not being given chances over over Pereira? How is Gomez not being given that chance at Bournemouth away over Pereira? Because he he's not doing anything. And the fact that we, it goes back to this point about confidence and and braveness in Solskjaer's management the fact he's not been replaced in the starting 11 is an indictment of that inability to to make changes and adapt I, I mean for, I, I think for me the Pereira situation might be the worst example of Solskjaer's I don't really know what you can maybe it is ineptitude of just being unable to to take those decisions as, as quickly as he should because this isn't a new thing with with Pereira he was a young player a few years ago and when he was going out on loan to La Liga every year he showed some promise, and it looked like he might be able to come at, come back and and add something to our team. So I don't, I don't, I'm not against Solskjaer giving him opportunities last last season and and at the beginning of this year. But by this point, we've seen enough, and he should be nowhere near the first team. He's had probably the best game he's had had in a United shirt was against Liverpool a couple of weeks ago, and mainly that was because he just got about the pitch and he made himself a nuisance on the ball. He was he was decent, and he but that's mainly because a lot of the passes he was putting into Rashford were into. 30, 40 yards of space for Rashford to just run into. He he offers us very, very little going forward. He has a pretty decent vision. It's probably the one thing I'd give to him, but he doesn't have the ability to execute those passes properly. And again, there's no guarantee that, you know, say starting James Garner over Pereira would be any better. And it might end up being a downgrade. But at the end of the day, it's learning about Jimmy Garner and figuring out if he is someone that could, could fit in our team going forward is a much better solution especially if he's just going to end up playing as badly as Pereira does anyway. But there is a chance that maybe with more experience, Garner could come in and, and maybe have a similar sort of growth that McTominay's had. Who knows? Yeah. But we, Pereira at this point is a known quantity. And what we know about him is that he isn't good enough and he cannot be, be a star in this, for this team. It's the same thing with Jesse Lingard. But I'd, I'd say Lingard is sort of maybe less of an obvious thing than Pereira simply because we don't really have someone who could come in for Lingard in the same way. Really, the alternative is Mata, who really is in the same kind of position as, well, as Lingard in terms of being proven that he's not good enough. That's three players right there who are consistently underperforming, and yet they are the ones being rotated in this United side. Yeah, exactly. Pereira underperforms, Lingard comes in. He doesn't do good enough, Mata comes in. Where is the, the opportunity for Angel Gomez or anyone else? anyone else because these three players have, have consistently underperformed for two or three years and and Pereira in particular is I think we can now say he's not good enough for United and, and yes it's really difficult to, to thrive in this United side we've seen that with a lot of players who have then left and become better so perhaps we'll, we'll regret saying that but it's not as if he's young he's 24 in a couple of months now Paul Pogba would, would help this situation massively and I think it's not been mentioned that much because Pogba's underperformed as a United player himself. But if Pogba was playing in this United side, if he was available for the selection, I think things would look very different. In the, in the games he has played this season, he's made more assists per game than anyone else in the United team, more key passes in the game than anyone else. Only Martial and Rashford have made more successful dribbles per game. This is a player who can who can do everything and he should be coming back at the start or a couple of weeks into December. And that will be crucial. 
even if he is to leave in, in January or, or next summer is more likely. United miss Paul Pogba a huge amount. Yeah, but again, you know, we we can sit here till we're blue in the face talking about how the players aren't good enough and, you know, we're, we have injuries that are stopping us from playing as fluently as we want. And that is all true and it is all very legitimate reasons why we might not be playing as well as we can. But then it is, it is on the shoulder of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to work around that. Just because, you know, say your best midfielder is out of the team or you, you don't really have a competent number 10 who can come in doesn't mean that you just sort of play players that we know aren't good enough. You you switch things up to try and get around it. You know, maybe switch to 4-4-2 where you don't really need a number 10 and, and you know, see if that can work. Play Rashford and Martial up front with Dan James and to Heath Chong on, on the left and Dan James on the right with two sort of more box-to-box type of midf- midfielders in there. Or, you know, try starting Angel Gomez. Maybe see if we can make... Rashford or Dan James drop back and play them in, in as a, a as a number ten. You know, it doesn't mean that you just play these known quantities that we know aren't good enough. The whole point of that is that it creates a challenge that you then have to figure out a way around. That's what the best managers in in the world do is that they're able to troubleshoot on the fly because it's, it's never going to be plain sailing. You know, as deep as as Man City's squad is, Pep Guardiola at times has to do different things, play people out of position. We've seen Fernandinho playing at centre back. We've seen him convert Fabian Delph into a left back. You know, there are things that you have to do as a manager sometimes to adapt. And Solskjaer just seems unable to do it. And again, it's this sort of risk averse nature that he's had where rather than take the risk and say, all right, well, we're going to change the formation or we're going to play someone in a position they don't normally play in. It's now just turned into, well, we're just going to keep plodding along with the same players that we know aren't good enough and hope that somehow they do something different. And inevitably they don't do anything different. Yeah. Right, we should move on to, to talk about our, our young players and, and see if that cheers us up a bit from this um, despair. And then we'll talk about Partizan Belgrade and Brighton and Hove Albion, uh, two home games for United to try to get back into some good form. United's under-23s have just finished playing as we record this and managed a good 4-1 win against Middlesbrough. Arnar Puigmal opened the scoring with a fantastic free kick from long range and then grabbed another himself before Tahith Chong got the final two. The under-18s, meanwhile, drew 1-1 against Wolves. Charlie McCann scored United's only goal, a penalty, and they play City next week. In low news, Dean Henderson kept another clean sheet for Sheffield United and has been nominated for Premier League Player of the Month. He's the only defensive player nominated for that award. Chris Smalling continues great form at Roma as they won 2-1 against Napoli. He made a wonderful goal line clearance to keep his sides lead at one point and Roma are now third in Serie A. George Tanner's Morecambe are in the only relegation spot in League 2 but managed to win over Leighton Orient to improve their chances of staying up. They got a clean sheet as well. Kieran O'Hara was in action for Burton in a 2-2 draw. Ethan Hamilton suspended for, for Southend's defeat at Sunderland and Cameron Borthwick-Jackson unused again for Tranmere Rovers. Joel Pereira's hearts were beaten 3-0 by Rangers in the Betfred Cup semi-final in Scotland. A bad day at the office for him. Aidan Barlow scored for Tromso in a 3-2 defeat at Sarpsborg in Norway. United's women's side are in fantastic form now. They've now recorded five consecutive wins. The latest was a 3-0 dismantling of a good Everton side in the FAWSL Cup. Goals came from Lauren James, Katie Zellum and Amy Turner. Right, Jack, we, we get back into first-team action on Thursday already. Another two games coming in in quick succession Thursday 8pm Partizan at home uh, the, the away leg at Partizan was obviously always going to be difficult United managed to come away from that with a 1-0 win their first away win in, in 8 months or or however long since March um, this is one at home which United should be which should be more comfortable uh, I would expect possibly Garner to play again Williams to start after, after not starting at Bournemouth and, and Young playing ahead of him and potentially Mason Greenwood to get a chance. None of them played for the under-23s on Monday night, so 
it looks like it, it could be possible. What? Are you, how are you predicting this game to go? Uh, not well, like every other United game at the moment. Um, no, I think <laughs> it will. It should yeah. on paper be a much easier game than playing away in Belgrade. Going away to that atmosphere is, is not an easy place to go and play. I, I mean, I expect the pattern of the game to be quite similar to quite a few of the games we've had this season with Belgrade sitting back, trying to just soak up the pressure and, and try and hit us on the counter-attack whenever they can which honestly worries me quite a lot. It shouldn't do. And I can't believe I'm sitting here saying that I'm worried about a Manchester United team playing partisan Belgrade. <laughs> but I really am because we, we just don't know how we're able to to break down deep blocks and we are vulnerable to teams countering against us. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, th- I think United will win this one. Uh, I'm, I'm, we'll talk a bit more about the Brighton game, but I'll go for I'll go for a 1-0 win for the partisan game. Rashford penalty by any chance? Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think 1-0 is, uh, if United are going to win, it's probably the, the most realistic scoreline. Yeah, line. right. The Brighton game is, is perhaps more important. United are doing well in the Europa League and the Premier League. Things are very different. Um, we were talking about this just before we started recording. This Sunday game, 2pm, against Brighton, who are eighth in the Premier League. I, I, I realised they were in, in good form, but I didn't realise that they managed to climb so far up the table. So Graham Potter's side doing doing very well in excellent form. They lost 2-0 to Chelsea at the start of October, but now doing well. They got a 3-0 win against Spurs, then lost 2-1 to Villa, but then 3-2 wins against Everton, 2-0 win against Norwich, and suddenly up to 8th, and, and, and they pose a threat to United. <laughs> Again, never thought I'd hear that sentence ushered about <laughs> Manchester United. Yeah, But I mean, how the mighty have fallen. But no, they, they are... Uh, a much improved side this year, playing much better football under Graham Potter. And I, th- I think will be a challenging game. I'm, and Brighton have been one of these teams. Uh, have we beaten them since they've come up from the, I think we may, may have beaten them once last season. I'm, I'm um, not sure we have. <laughs> but we've, yeah, we've had some, some tough games against them. I mean, I know we've lost both years at the Amex. Yeah. I think we, this is what um, we were saying in the, in the last episode is that we always have a bad record on the South coast. And that has just carried on with this Bournemouth. Um, yeah, sure, yeah, we didn't even beat Southampton either, did we? No, it's it's Southampton, Bournemouth, Brighton, Portsmouth are just becoming United's bogey teams, plural. Um, yeah. What are you going for this game then? Four uh, 0 Brighton. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I, my my one hope is that potentially Brighton, because they are sort of a much improved side now, might come out and, and play a little bit more. So I'm just looking up past results. We have beaten Brighton once in the or twice sorry in the Premier League since they've come up we beat them at home in 2017 and then at home in January during Solskjaer's good run uh, yeah. but then sandwiched in between they beat us twice at the Amex yeah. Um, but yeah I, my, my, my one hope is that because they are a much better football inside this year they might come out and actually play a little bit more kind of like Norwich did last weekend because that that's the kind of game that we, is, we're more suited to is when they actually will come out and not just sit back yeah I, I'd, I'd probably go for maybe a one-all draw, or maybe a scrape of 2-1 United win. But I mean, again, it, it's hard to predict any of these games being a comfortable United win because we just we don't look like being comfortable against any team at the moment. Yeah, and two bad results and instantly the, the talk of the sack will be over Solskjaer's head again because that's, that's the yeah. way things work. And if, if one thing I would happens, say about Brighton fair? is that... Sorry, if, if if the talk of the sack comes back after two bad results, would that be would that be fair? Yes, I think it would be because I don't think it ever truly went away. I think it was more that there was something else to focus on, and and like 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 we said last week, really the only one of those three wins that we had that was sort of better than expectation was the Chelsea game. 
you know, we weren't expecting to win all three of those games necessarily against Norwich, Partizan and, and Chelsea. But that was really only because of how bad we've been for the rest of the season. We should be beating Partizan Belgrade. We should be beating Norwich. So yeah, the Chelsea game was a good result. But I, I don't think those three results did too much to move the needle. And I think if we were to lose, especially if we were to lose against both Partizan Belgrade and Brighton, I mean, that for me would have would far outweigh any any positives that we could take from the last three games. Yeah, three consecutive defeats to, to Bournemouth, Partizan and Brighton would, would I think, uh, play on the mind of Ed Woodward. Right, we've got a, a question from yeah. Ian who says, Ole for director of football, Pochettino for manager. Uh, we, we haven't got that much time to talk about it. It's uh, For me, I, I think it's something that could have could have been a very good move had both of them accepted it and had it happened in the summer. Now I think it's too late for, for both of them. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Oli, once he eventually does leave United, which, as I said earlier, I think will probably happen, if not at some point this season, next summer, I don't think he would be accepted back very quickly by United fans. I just think his name is sort of poisoned now. And t- to be fair... It's no given that we would want Pochettino anymore, really, based on what's happening to Spurs this season. Yes, he's had a great track record there, but it's tough to to now want a manager who's got a, a pretty good Spurs team down in, what is it? I think they're even below us and they're in 11th at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's not a good fit for either of them at the moment, is it? And and with hindsight, it, it could have been a, a fantastic chance in the summer to, to set up a long-term structure at, at United, but hindsight is always always cruel. But, and to... And, to be fair, I'm because as as each passing day goes by, I become more and more convinced that I don't think we ever will appoint a technical yeah. director or a director of football. At least, at least not until Ed Woodward is gone. Because at this, uh, if it's not happened by now, when is it going to happen? I mean, Solskjaer coming in was supposed to be sort of the reset button. That was when everything changed and we were going to instill a new culture, completely overhaul the structure of the club. Hasn't happened. Ed Woodward's still in charge of everything, and it's just as we always say it's just the club releasing various little tidbits of information to the press to keep the fans appeased or it's going to be Rio Ferdinand it's going to be Van der Sar it's going to be whoever else it might be ex-player and I, at this point I'm convinced it's not going to happen until yeah. Edward would and leave. on that, that cheery note then we're going to have to wrap things up on series 5 episode <laughs> 14 of the Manchester United weekly podcast thank you as always for tuning in and if you're enjoying the show please leave us a review on iTunes or share it on any kind of social media or via word of mouth um, for more from us throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there thanks as always for listening try and enjoy the United again hopefully we can get some wins and some goals but who knows goodbye Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.